Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. Glad that you're here. Uh, we are in the middle of a sermon series. We've got just a few more weeks. If you haven't been here before, uh, I started talking a few weeks back, five weeks ago, about the power of God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And uh, a lot of Christians don't understand the work or the power of God's Spirit in their lives, what God wants to do, what He can do, what he, what he, where He wants to lead you, how He wants to work through your life. And so I wanted to introduce you to the, the, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And then I wanted to kind of talk through, because the, the early Christians, hundreds of years ago, uh, thousands actually, used to call the Holy Spirit the wild goose. They said He's unpredictable. You, you, you don't get to control God's power in your life. You got to follow Him. And so uh, my encouragement has been, okay, if he's a wild goose and if it's like chasing and you got to go with it, how many of us in our lives are living what, what I would call a caged Christianity? And we've been going through uh, a book, or I have, called The Wild Goose Chase by Mark Batterson and just taking a look at different areas where Christians live caged. And so we took a look at the area of the cage of responsibility. A few weeks ago, I talked to you type A people, the cage of routine. Uh, last week was the cage of assumptions. We're going to end next Sunday with the cage of fear. I don't know about you, but oftentimes in my lives, I, I, I miss what God wants to do in my life because I'm afraid to actually do what he's telling me to do. Anybody else? There's some times that he doesn't, what, what, the, what the spirit of God is leading you to doesn't make sense. It's not comfortable, and you don't have it all figured out. And there's a level of fear there that oftentimes keeps us from seeing the power of God in our lives. So the cage of fear. Today I want to talk to you through this, this topic I think is so relatable to every person that's in this room, something we all struggle with. Uh, he called this chapter the cage of guilt, the cage of guilt, cage of guilt. And he, here's the thing with guilt. He, he says this about, about uh, God's grace in the beginning of the chapter, and I loved it. He said, um, your worst days are never so bad that they are beyond God's grace, your worst days. On the flip side... Your best days are never so good that they are beyond the need for God's grace. Every day should be a day of relating to God on the basis of his grace. Here's the problem with grace. We don't understand it. That's why we have religion. That's why a lot of people come to church. They don't understand grace. You're here out of obligation. That's how you know you don't live by grace. You, 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 you think what you do and how you live determines where you're, where you're at with God, your right standing with God. We don't understand grace the way we should. We don't, we don't continue to learn. We don't continue to become a student of it. It's the one thing you need to become all that God has called you to be, the grace of God. It doesn't make sense to us a lot of times, but guilt we understand. Guilt we can relate to, and Satan knows that about us. He knows we're going to have a difficult, a difficult uh, relationship with God's grace. It's going to be hard for us to comp comprehend, and he knows he can work us over with guilt, the cage of guilt. I started think, thinking about my life. I have had many moments where I've done things I'm not proud of. Anybody else? Anybody else in this place? You've done things you wish you could take back. You've done things you've never told anybody about, like you're still working on those, like guilt. Guilt is a part of, part of our lives. I remember when I was 13 years old, um, I, I, I had this moment where I, I struggled with this, this guilt. And so uh, I, was, I had a friend, 
and their house was the hangout house. Anybody, uh, every, every, every kid needs a friend with the hangout house. It's just not going to be my house, right? And so, like, you go, some, and so the hangout, you know, a hangout house, you know, like, the parents, they don't really care what, like, if you break something, they're like, eh, it's just stuff, right? And, 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 and if somebody breaks something in my house, I'm, I'm getting a Venmo, and you're paying me, right? And so, I don't care if I know you or not, right? Give me your parents' Venmo. You're going to pay for this. And so, uh, it, it, their house, they just, they just didn't care. They had a basement. We kind of we kind of we used to hang out. The youth group would go down there. They had a pool we would go swim at. Every Sunday, they would have just tons of people at their house. Sometimes there would be 50, 60, 70, 80 people. Some people we knew. Some people just showed up. They were literally driving down to Bechtelsville and just pulled in, right? And, like, everything went there. It was awesome. And so uh, one, one time when I was 13 years old, uh, they started in the summer. I don't know how it got started, but I, but I, just, know, I just know we started playing uh, golf in their yard with real golf balls, a little par three. They made these holes. They made them up, and we had this par three, and it was really interesting because they didn't live like in the middle of nowhere. They had a house beside them. They had a business park on the other side of them. They had, they had a, 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 a road in front of them. So there was a lot of uh, hazards, hazard traps, as they call it in golf, right? Hazard, uh, stuff like that. And so we golfed, and, you know, there was, we had a good time. I was bad at it, though. And so I remember one day I was like, yeah, I'm going to go over to the, to the Borgard's house. That's whose, whose house it was. And I'm going to go over to the Borgard's house, and I'm going to get a little, little practice round in so that I can be good on Sunday. So I went over with a few other friends, and they didn't care. They just showed up. I'm like, hey, we're going to golf. They're like, go ahead out there and golf. And so I got up on the first tee. And uh, I hit a shot on the first tee, and it, and it, and it sliced. That's a slice, right? It sliced over the Arbor Vady things, whatever they're called. You know what I'm talking about? The bushes you put in your yard, and they're cool, and then they're not. You know what I'm talking about? So I hit it right over the Arbor Vady, this line, and I watched it go over the Arbor. I looked. It went over the Arbor, Arbor Vady, whatever you call them. It sliced, and there was a business park with a bunch of work trucks parked. This, this was, it was nighttime, so nobody was there. And it, I saw it, and it was in, like in slow motion. And I realized it was about to hit one of the business person's trucks or vans there. And so I saw it. I watched it hit, and it hit, and I heard this loud, boom. And what did we do? We ran. <laughs> I didn't look. We ran in the house. You know, I went in there. I've never told anybody about this, right? I've never, never went back and checked. Uh, I can tell you the business. You might be related to the person who owns it, so I'm not going to. Uh, the business is still around because this week in the parking lot that I talked about that I hate a giant, one of their work trucks was parked there. I was like, come on, God, right? <laughs> like, really, we're going to do this? I'm preaching on guilt, and you're going to bring, bring them back into my, into my life? And I dealt with this real level of guilt. I used to think to myself as a 13-year-old, I cracked this guy's windshield. Maybe I put him out of business because he couldn't afford a new windshield. And now his family is homeless, and her kid, his kids are hungry. All because I didn't go over there and, and tell him. And I, I mean, I'm, I didn't feel that bad because when I saw the truck and the giant thing, I just went on my business, right? But... But I still carry this level of low-level guilt, right? But there's, there's so many different times in my life where there was more serious guilt. And uh, some of you can relate to that. Maybe, maybe it was, uh, uh, let's just jump right in. We'll get real, 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 real into the, into the nitty-gritty. Some, some of us struggle with uh, guilt from our sexual issue, our sexual past. We have l- low levels of guilt. It just kind of na- nags at us. Some of you, it's high level. Some of you, uh, you were married and it failed, and now you have guilt from, from what, what you did. Or maybe... You stepped outside of your marriage, and you had an affair, and it's since been cleaned up, and it's, you've worked through it, and there's been restoration, but there's still a level of guilt. Some of you have kids, and you feel this level of guilt. Your kids are grown, and you didn't spend the amount of time you should have spent with your kids, invested in them, and you carry this, this guilt around, around with you. Some of it's something you said to somebody. At one point, you just said something, and you've never reconciled, and you carry, you carry guilt. Or some of you have reconciled it, and you still carry guilt. You, you've, you've still 
carry guilt around with you. Satan loves guilt. He loves guilt. He loves when we don't understand the grace of God, and he absolutely loves when we struggle in, in our guilt. Watch what the Bible says in Psalms 38. He says, my guilt overwhelms me like a burden too heavy to bear. My, my guilt, it overwhelms my life. The mess-ups in my life, they overwhelm me like a burden too big to, to, be, to bear. In other words, that, that guilt that you have, it almost has a shrinking effect on your life, he, sa he says. It shrinks your life. It shrinks your, your relationships. It shrinks God's dreams in your life. Guilt shrinks you. It, impris it imprisons you. In, in fact, uh, they, they, he used some great examples, and I thought it was, I thought it was really good because I think it's really fitting. But you think sometimes you come into church, and man, you hear about God's plan for your life, and you, you begin to believe God, God can use you. And as he begins to say, hey, it's time to step out of, of the cage. I got something I want to do with your life. I think maybe, maybe there's a, a young girl here, and you've been through a lot of stuff relationally and, and, you know, and, and giving yourself, and maybe, maybe you had an abortion at, so, at some point, and now you've come back, and God has healed you. He's forgiven you. He's restoring you. He's taking back what the enemy has stolen from you, and now he's calling you to go speak to, to, to other females, to other girls that are struggling in their identity. And what will guilt do? Guilt will say, you can't do that. Do you know your past? That's guilt. Some of you, it's uh, God. You're about to get married, and God has this amazing marriage. You've done, you've done, you've done most things right. You've you picked a Christian, and you're both equally yoked, and you're pursuing the things of God. But you have a past. You're guilty of some stuff in your life, and you haven't been the person you're supposed to be. You believe God is calling you to a great marriage, but you feel a level of guilt, right? And guilt says you don't deserve a great marriage because of all the things that you've done. That that's guilt. Guilt will pull you back in. You'll start to step out. You'll be like, man, I'm supposed to teach people about this, or I'm supposed to lead this, or I'm supposed to preach. Maybe for me, it'd be, man, I'm supposed to preach about, about uh, uh, confession and all that stuff. I got to talk about confession, and Satan wants to remind me. Remember when you were 13 years old, and you hit that person's truck, and you've never gone and told them that you did that? You think you should really preach on, on, on being free from guilt? Are you free from guilt? Am I free from guilt? Maybe I shouldn't preach on that. You ever been? I mean, that happens to me all the time. I'm going to preach on patience. Let me lose my temper with my kids right before church starts. <laughs> you get yourself back into that cage, right? I mean, every week, guilt sets in over there. What are you, what are you, what are you about to do? Well, you can't even hear today. What are you doing right now, right? Like guilt, guilt, guilt shrinks your life. Guilt gets in the way of everything that God wants to do in your life. So what I want to do is I want to take you into probably my favorite example of somebody who struggles with guilt, rightfully so, and Jesus leads them out of it. And there's, there's a lot. Like, you can literally throw a rock and hit a story in the Bible, right? Like, there's so many stories where people have had a past. In fact, every Christian has a past. Are you tracking with me? One person said, every saint has a past, which means every sinner has a future. We all have a past. You're, we're not sitting by perfect people. The, the only thing that's, that's, that's good about this place is the grace of God. And we, we all need it, right? And so I, want, I love this example, this story. There were, so many, there were so many ways to go. But in the book, he talks about the story of Peter denying Christ. And I, I love it, but I also was, was upset because I preached this story so many times because it speaks to me. And I was like, can I do something different? Because I'm sure I talked about this in the last year, and I need to give, be, be creative. But then when I read through the story, he took me to Luke chapter 22, which is the, the story of Peter denying the Christ in the book of Luke, but I've never preached from that book. 
What's interesting about the Bible is oftentimes if you're not, if you're not in a hurry, you'll begin to notice that every word in the Bible is there with a reason. And sometimes, even in the Gospels, they give you different details of stories. And if you're, not in, if you're not in a hurry, you'll realize, oh my gosh, that's there for a reason. And so I read something in this chapter this week that I never, never noticed before. And I want to take you into this story in Luke chapter 22. You've never been to church before. I'll give you just a little background of what's happening. Jesus is about to die on the cross. That, that's, that's where he's been headed. And uh, it's the last night before he gets sentenced and crucified. So he's having a meal with his, with, his, with his posse, his boys, his friends, his last, his disciples, right? Like he's, he's there, they call it the upper room, and uh, he's, or, or the last supper, he's in this room with, with, with Jesus and, or with his disciples, and they're eating. And uh, as they're eating, uh, they're having a meal together, uh, they're all there. The one that's going to betray him, Judas is there, Peter's there, John's there, Matthew's there, they're, they're all there, right? And so at some point, Jesus takes off his outer, outer garment. And uh, he begins to wash their feet. And so you ever have a day where you just screw up over and over and over again? Like this is, this is, Peter is about to show us what it looks like to royally screw up. And it doesn't start when he denies Christ. We're going to talk about that in a second. It starts from this moment. Like he, he starts right here. Jesus takes off his outer garment, wraps around a towel, begins to wash his disciples' feet. He goes, you ever been in a room full of people and one of them you don't like or a couple of them you don't like and you don't want to talk to them and you don't want to make eye contact with them and you actually want to punch them? Right? So I'm like, yeah, it happens every Sunday. I look around, I'm like, I, you know, right? And so Jesus is in the room with, with Judas and he begins to wash Judas' feet knowing Judas is going to betray him. There's a, there's a powerful word there. And uh, then he gets to Peter's feet and Peter gets mad and says, you're not going to wash my feet. We don't wash my feet. I'll wash your feet. You're Jesus. I'm Peter. To which Peter kind of gets scolded by Jesus. And then he's like, well, just wash my whole body. And he's like, dude, sit down, Peter. We don't got time for that, right? <laughs> and it just starts there. Like, Peter just starts showing you his real, his real character. Then a little bit later, uh, Jesus, take, after done eating, goes out into the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, hey, uh, we're, we're going to pray. We need to pray. Uh, I need to ask God for his, for his power, his encouragement. I need his strength. And so he takes his three closest disciples, uh, Peter, James, and John, a little bit further than all the rest of the disciples. And he says, guys, can you sit here and pray with me? Uh, because this is going to be really difficult, what I'm about to go through. Jesus goes to pray, comes back. Guess what, guess what Peter's doing? He's sleeping. I mean, he just, just an idiot. Let's just be honest. So he's just screwing up over and over and over again. Then, uh, then they come to get Jesus, and Peter's trying to overcompensate for falling asleep. They try to get Jesus, and Peter takes out his, his dagger and cuts a guard's ear off. P Jesus is like, dude, Really? Picks it back up, wipes it off, sticks it back on, on, on the guy, guy's head. He's like, and then, and then they take Jesus away. You know what Peter does? He bails. He runs. He hides. He's in the background. Like, Peter is just having one of those days. But I didn't tell you, in the middle of this conversation in the, in the, in the, in the, in the Last Supper, he tells Peter, hey, oh, by the way, before the end of this night, um, you're going to deny me. He didn't tell him about cutting off the ear, falling asleep. That's just going to be a part of your story. But you're also going to deny me for the rooster crows. You ever been, been preached a sermon and told about something you shouldn't be doing, then you go do it right after? We judge Peter, but like, we'll do this. I'll be like, hey, you should have patience. Fruit of the Spirit is patience. You go out between second and third service, you can't get out of the parking lot, you're flipping people off. It's, it's happened in the last few weeks. This is how I know we're arriving, right? We're having traffic jams, and Christians are mad because they can't get out of the church. I'm like, am I going to have to preach a sermon on this, right? At least wait till you get into Phoenixville before you start, before you start flipping people off, right? And so... <laughs> it's like you, you hear something, and then you just go do that. We do this all the time. We judge, we judge 
Peter, but this is the grace of God. Like, we know the things that we shouldn't do, yet we ought to do them, and we have to constantly rely on God's grace in our lives. And so Peter, uh, in Luke 22, the Bible says, they seized Jesus, and they led him away, took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. He was there, but he was in a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, they sat down together. Peter, he, he decided to sit down with them. The servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with Jesus, but he denied it. He says, woman, I don't know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you're one of them. I, I remember, I saw you, you were with them. He says, man, I'm not, I'm not. About an hour later, uh, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with them, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. He's adamant. To the little girl, he says, woman. And then he says, man, right? And he's thinking, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. cock a doo doo, -doo. <laughs> He remembered. You can just see it. He remembered. But here, here, here's, here's, here's the part that I never noticed before. You see the next verse? Can you bring that back up for me? Just the, next, the, the last verse. The Bible says that the rooster crowed, and then the Bible says the Lord turned and looked straight at him. I've preached this passage many times. I missed that. The Lord turned. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you'll disown me. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. You ever been so mad at somebody? You say this. I'm so mad at you, I can't even look at you right now. If you have kids, you said that, I guarantee it. <laughs> so mad, I can't even look at you right now. I was there last year. Can't we, 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 you know, it's fair season now. It starts right now. And so it's the biggest waste of money in the history of the world. And so <laughs> right now it's Dogwood Fair Festival time in Phoenixville. That's the most overpriced fair. If you have kids over the age of eight, don't take them. The rides are awful. And so... So that my, my son wanted to go there, Harrison wanted to go. We don't go to the, we don't go to the dog, we go to the Kimberton, right? If you're, if you're a Phoenixville veteran, you know the Kimberton Fair is better than the Dogwood Festival. So we go to the Kimberton Fair, which means you've got to wait till the middle of July. Kimberton Fair is something that my sons look forward to every year. You get a $20 wristband, you can ride as many rides as you want. And so it's kind of torture because when they see it start to get put together, specifically my youngest kid, he starts to ask, when are we going to go to the Kimberton Fair? When are we going to go to the Kimberton Fair? When are we going to go to the Kimberton Fair? When are we going to go to the Kimberton You ever been there? When are we going to go to the Kimberton Fair? We're going to go Wednesday. What day is it? It's Monday. When are we going to go to the Kimberton And you just, when are we going to go? So he, last year, was really looking forward to the Kimberton Fair. And uh, he actually said, can I invite some friends to go with me? I said, sure, as long as they pay for themselves. And so <laughs> you can invite whoever you want. And so... We had some friends come from church, and uh, they met us at our house. We had some pizza, and we were going to head out to the Kimberton, Kimberton Fair. When we were heading out to the Kimberton Fair, one of his little friends in the, in the car. Now, the Kimberton Fair is 15 seconds from my house. And so one of the little, little, his little friends from the Kimberton Fair, we were backing out of my driveway. My driveway is a hill like this. At the bottom of my driveway is a basketball hoop. There's been a basketball hoop there uh, for the last five years of our lives, but it's been replaced four times. I'll get to that in a second. And so... Some people have said to me, why don't you buy a permanent one? And that's easy because my kids are not going to be in the NBA, and that's a bad investment. And so, <laughs> so I keep getting portable, or portable ones off Facebook Marketplace. That's kind of the background. I've had three portable Facebook or basketballs off Facebook Marketplace. They keep breaking. reason they keep breaking is because 
my kids leave it 10 foot up in the air. The, the, the trajectory of the wind goes right down my driveway. When it's 10 foot up in the air, it catches the basketball hoop and breaks it. So I've told them a million times, put it down to 7 foot. The likelihood of this, give them a little science lesson, physics, all this stuff. It won't break. They don't listen because they're kids, right? And so we're on our fourth hoop, fourth hoop. Last July, I went out to Costco. I got a real hoop for them. Went out to Costco. Put this basketball hoop together uh, on a hot July day on the blacktop by myself. Opened the box up. The box had the Chinese instructions and not the English instructions. So it took me 16 and a half hours to put this basketball hoop together, but I did it. I put it together. I put it up. I was super excited. It's the nicest basketball hoop they ever had. Had the same conversation. Make sure you put it down. The wind will blow it. We're not getting another basketball hoop, like all this other stuff. And we had this conversation. We're pulling out of the driveway to go to the Kimberton Fair. One of his little friends says from the back, back seat, this is a week after we got the hoop, hey, what happened to your basketball hoop? I had not notice there was a big hole in the backboard. I look back, I see Harrison. You ever? Yeah, one of those looks like, could you just wait 15 more seconds till we get to the Kimberton? His friends are in the car. I'm not going to do nothing at, the, at this time anyways. It's, I don't know what to do. We get to the fair. I just look at him. We get home, I have a conversation with him. I ask him what happened. He hit a baseball through it after he was told not to hit a baseball through it. Clearly, we have broken thing. And here's exactly what I said to him. I'm so mad at you, I can't look at you right now. I can't even look. I can't believe you did this. I think this is how we think God responds to us oftentimes. I'm so mad at you. I'm so disgusted by you. I'm so tired. You ever been there? I can't believe you did this again. I am so tired of having this same conversation with you, young man. It's God speaking to me or you. I'm so tired of telling you what to do, and then you do the exact, do you do the exact opposite on purpose? Think about it. Jesus says to Peter, hey, man, you're going to deny me three times. No, I'm not. You are. But I told you you are, so under your own will, and if you're as good as you think you are, you probably shouldn't since you have the answers to the test already. Yet you still do it. What do you think Peter's reaction would be? I don't even want to look at you right now. Or Jesus, I don't even want to look at you. I don't, I don't want to see you. I don't even want to pretend you're my disciple. I want you to get what you deserve. What does, Peter do? what does Jesus do to Peter? The Bible says that as he's being taken away, he looks straight at Peter. You know, eye contact's a powerful thing. Did you know that? Look what I'm preaching. If I was to make eyes, it's kind of awkward, actually. <laughs> when you have a son or a daughter, you make eye contact with them, it's powerful. It tells them you see them, you value them, you care for them. When you sit and you look at somebody through their, their failures and you, 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 you make eye contact, I see, I see you as a, as a person. I, I, I love you. But there's something else going on here. In the book, he makes this point. He says, here's why I think Jesus is looking at Peter in this moment, and he wants Peter to make eye contact with him and see him, is I think Jesus realizes, listen, I'm going to the cross to forgive stuff like this. And I'm not worried about me forgiving you in this situation, because I'm going to take care of that. What I'm actually worried about with Peter is I'm worried that Peter won't be able to forgive Peter. I'm worried that this will be so devastating to his soul that before that I can get back off this cross and set things right again, that the same outcome of Judas's life, which he went and took his own life because he didn't trust in the grace of God, he didn't think he could make a comeback, the same thing's going to happen to Peter. 
So he wants to make eye contact with him and let him know, I got you. But we're in this together. I'll be back. Isn't it, isn't it our nature when we mess up, we don't want to make eye contact with Jesus? You don't want to stay away. You're ashamed. You want to, you're embarrassed. You don't want to look at him. You don't want him to look at you. You, you. you don't want to have that moment in your life. You want, to, you want to run from him. Don't we often do that when we mess up? We want to stay away from church. Why were you at church last week? I was sick. How many weeks can you be sick? Were you sick or in shame? Maybe they're the same. I don't know. Were you overwhelmed by your mistakes? Were you confused about the grace of God? Were you confused that when we mess up that he pursues us to bring us home, not to get us? I want to encourage you, look again. Make make eye contact with Jesus again. Maybe, maybe, Maybe in your guilt, if you would make eye contact with Jesus again, you would hear just a few things that I, that I, I think are so foundationally true to our story. Because guilt destroys everything about our lives. It, it ruins us. It takes us away from God. In fact, I, I, was, I, I was studying guilt this week. And uh, anybody ever walk by, uh, when, when, when the girls start saying, Girl Scout cookies, you buy cookies. Why do you buy cookies? They ain't good. Don't even, oh, they're so good. No, they're not. They're stale. <laughs> Why do you buy Girl Scout cookies? You feel guilty. You put girls out front, in front of Redners, you want to buy cookies? I can't be that guy. I'm a pastor in this town. I'll take 17, right? <laughs> how much are they? I tell you how much you're like, good Lord, right? It's $14 for a box. What's in there, right? And so they asked the girl, she, this one girl years ago, she was selling like thousands of boxes of cookies. They, they sold, she sold so many that the news came and covered her. They said, how do you do it? She said, easy. I just look at people and make them feel guilty. Let's make them feel guilty. How, how does Satan keep you away from God's grace, his goodness, his plans, his future? Guilt. I just make them feel guilty. How, how does Satan win in your life? Guilt. Guilt. So let me just give you a few thoughts. If you would look at Jesus again, this is what you would actually see, I think. Number one, you would see that your biggest sins are not too big for God's grace. Your, your biggest sins are not too big for God's grace in your life. Imagine this opposite message. That seems so cliche. Right? And I, I, I will admit, there's some things we do that they're bad. You tracking with me? Like, sometimes I talk to people, I'm like, what? Why? How? Who? God? Right? Like, this happens. Like, it's not all the time you're like, yeah, that's going to turn out well. You're like, I don't know what's going to happen. Good luck with that, right? And so it seems so cliche to be like, no, no, you'll be fine. What's the opposite message, though? Could you imagine the opposite message? Let me, uh, let me divide this room up here in Montgomeryville. Okay. We're going to take a little survey. Some of you have a little bit of sin in here. You're going to get the liars. Who's the liars in here? You've been telling people you weigh 195 pounds. Bro, you're like 220. And so you're lying, right? <laughs> tell people you're 36. Come on now, right? Like, tell people you were a star athlete. We, well, we, play, we played softball with you. You didn't lose it, right? It's just, you lie, right? And so, right, like, just, we, 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 we fib, we ad-lib to our lives. And so, yeah, you go to this side. Oh, okay, you're a gossiper. Okay, that's just like a church thing. Like, we just do that here. So you go to this side. Okay, all of you. Your sins are not too big for God's grace. But let's talk to the, to the other one. Who's the adulterers in here? Those have had abortions, have sex outside of marriage multiple times. Uh, let's just, uh, let's ask about the, the drug addicts. How many drug addicts we got in here? Okay, everyone put your hand. Okay, good, this side. Over here, hey, God's grace is really good. It can help handle those little sins. You guys, you're dead. 
I mean, can you imagine that? Because like, we, we'll be like, let's so some simple. What's the other? What's the opposite? Well, let's let's start. God can either forgive all of your sins and give you grace for all of your sins or none of your sins. He, he's either good enough to reach the, the 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 worst of the sinners, which Paul, by the way, says he said he saved me, the chief of all sinners. He says. That's how he describes. Paul, he writes most of the New Testament. He says, I'm the chief of all sinners. I need the grace of God in, in my life. And so I just want to remind you. I want to remind you based on the story of Peter, because this is one of the biggest screw-ups that any of us can imagine, the biggest screw-ups, that your worst sins that you have, your biggest sins are not too big for God's grace in your life. In fact, here's what I'll say to you. Guilt that you struggle with, that's not from God. The guilt that strangles your life, the guilt that constantly reminds you of the things that you've done wrong, the, the guilt that is a constant annoyance in your spiritual life, the, the guilt that makes you feel like you can't worship and feel like you can't lead and feel like you can't preach and feel like you can't be married, that's not from God. Conviction is from God. Conviction is after you begin to follow God and you fall short of what he has best in store for your life, the conviction of God is the still soft voice. It's very gentle, and here's what it's telling you. I got better for you. Don't do that. I got better for you. I haven't given up on you. Guilt says your, 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 your case is closed. Guilt says there's no way out. Guilt says your story's already written. Conviction says I got something better for you, right? Conviction understands and builds its theory and his voice off of what Scripture says. What does the Bible say in 1 John 1? If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, all of us in this room, what's our main problem? We're sinners. We, we need a Savior, right? He says, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from our unrighteousness. How does he do it? Jeremiah 31 says, I forgive their wickedness and I remember their sins no more. You guys remember these? Remember these? Remember these? Etch a sketch? It's old school, right? Old school. Old school. And so I bought this as we came in the mail. And Harrison acts like this is the coolest toy in the history of the world, right? I mean, he's been hiding it places for me. Like, this is awesome. Arkansas, this is an iPad. Am I right? iPad. And so... <laughs> I see you over there still, back again, right? <laughs> iPad. And so, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't wait. First service, I was like, should I tell a joke? No, I'll wait for her to be here. And so, right? But Etch-a-Sketch. Yeah, everybody, anybody extra, extra experts at Etch-a-Sketch? Yeah, that's because you were a dork growing up. And so I'm just like, <laughs> sad and played, right? But no, true, truthfully, I could never make anything on an Etch-a-Sketch, right? Like you just make, anybody ever been make a circle? I can make a circle. You know what I can make on an Etch-a-Sketch? Steps. Right? You just make steps, right? You just, I can't even do it right. Like a square, right? But the Etch-a-Sketch, the coolest thing about the Etch-a-Sketch, Harrison loves it. There's zero technology to this, right? Zero technology. There's no, no computer chips. But if you mess up, what do you do? And what happens when you shake it? Your drawing, if it works right, your drawing is gone. You can't bring it back. That's one of the worst things about the Etch-a-Sketch. Like you'll be working on something, somebody will come by, bump it, you're like, no, right? You can't bring it back. How many of you, like, God chooses to forgive our sins. He chooses to. He chooses whatever, whatever's on your slate, right? He chooses to forgive it, and it's gone, yet you're trying to bring it back. You're, you're, you're trying to reestablish it in, in your life. You're, you're, you're oh, no, 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 I want to talk about this again. And God's going, no, no, I, I have forgiven your sins as far as the east is from the west. That's why guilt's not from God. Because guilt is constantly reminding you and trying to put you back in the cage and, hey, this is where you've been. That's not from God. God, God forgives your sins as far as the east is from the west. Number one, your, your, your biggest sin is not too big for God's grace. Number two is this. Second thing that's really important to remember is you're not what you've done. 
You're who God says you are. You're not what you've done. You're who God says you are. So, so we, when, we, when we fail, when we mess up, we'll say stuff like, I, I'm, a, I'm a failure now. Are you a failure or did you fail? What's the difference? Is there a difference? Failure means it's final. I failed means I'm going to keep going from this. I did mess up, but I lean on the grace of God. Are you a mess or did you make a mess? You made a mess, right? But you're not a mess. Are you broken and can't get put back together? Are you lost and you can never be found? We take what we've done and we begin to label ourselves. Let me ask you something. Some of you have been in church for your whole life, right? You've been in church your whole life. You know the story about Peter. When we talk about Peter in church, specifically Catholics, right? Because you think he's your first pope, which whatever. And so would have went somewhere better with that. And so, uh, right? And so he's your first pope. But when you, when you think about Peter, have you ever heard somebody introduce Peter as Peter the denier? We do that to Thomas, by the way. I think Thomas is going to have a problem with that when we get to heaven. He's like, doubting Thomas? He's like, no, I did doubt, but then I touched Jesus and I felt his hand, so stop calling me that. We do that all the time. We label people. And I just want to remind you, biblically, you're not what you've done. You're who God says you are. And you see this in the story of Peter. I love this part of the story of Peter. And so uh, Peter would have struggled with what he did, right? But I think if he was, if he was thinking logically... He would have went back and, and had to reestablish who Jesus said he was. So he denied Jesus. That's what he did. But he needed to go back to the words of Jesus to establish who he was. And luckily, we have that interaction in Scripture. If you go to the book of Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's preparing them. He's telling them, here's what we're about to do. Here's what the kingdom of God looks like. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to serve. They're still trying to figure all that out. And at one point, Jesus says this to Peter. It's an amazing conversation. He says, uh, blessed are you, Simon, son of jo Joseph, uh, Jonah. So his original name is Simon. That's who he was, and he was the son of Jonah. We got that. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. In other words, when I was, when I was, when I was growing up and getting ready to preach, one of the greatest compliments from somebody was, man, I can see God's anointing on you. That, that's, that's a powerful thing. I can, like, that's, that's, that, uh, what they're saying is, I can see God working through your life because it's obviously not you because you're an idiot. That's what they were saying to me. <laughs> that's, 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 that's the greatest compliment you can have. People either see you or they see Christ. They shouldn't see both. Are you tracking with me? So, when he, so what Jesus is saying is, I see. I see my Father working in your life. It is a great moment of validation to this ordinary fisherman. Then he goes on to say this, and I tell you that you're Peter. He changes his name. Jesus does what Jesus wants, right? You're Simon, but instead we're going to call you Peter. And on this rock, which is literally what Simon means, I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, I want to remind you, what is the gates of Hades? That's tell. What Jesus is saying to him is the things in your life that you are going to do that should determine hell, I'm going to overcome and I'm going to use your life in spite of all those things. The gates of, so what he's saying is, hey, in a few years from now, you're going to deny me and Listen, without my gospel, without my grace, without my love, this could send you to hell. You're going to walk away from me. And even though I told you you shouldn't, this is something that could send you to hell. But me, I'm going to overcome it. I'm going to defeat that. And I want to remind you, because of that, you're Peter. And I'm going to use people just like you to build my church. Who better to share about the grace of God than somebody who desperately needs the grace of God? You're not what you've 
done. You're who God says you are. Man, years ago, one of the most popular things to do for pastors was, was to show movie clips in their sermons. You guys have been around long enough. You notice that they would step down, lights come down, they would show a movie clip. And I wish I could show you this movie clip, but I don't know where DVDs are at and how to do this anymore. And so, but years ago, I watched this movie that I, I, I encourage you to watch at some point called Blood Diamond, Blood Diamond. And so Leonardo DiCaprio was in it. It was, it was I'm not sure if it was political or what it was, but the, the story of it was trying to educate uh, the world uh, on, on where diamonds come from. They, they come from people that are forced to do hard labor, slavery, lots of times in Africa. They dig up, these mine these diamonds, they sell them to, 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 to jewelry, people that own jewelry stores, and they, they mark them up dramatically, and these people live really crappy lives, and so against their will a lot of time. And all, at the same time in the movie, uh, their kids were being, being taken and forced to become child soldiers. So the main characters in the movie, besides Leonardo DiCaprio, I don't remember who, what his name was, but uh, the main characters in the movie that I want to talk to you about are Solomon and Dia. Solomon and Dia. Solomon was the father. Dia was his son. At some point, Solomon escapes this life of being, being a miner for diamonds, but his son is taken and, and made to be a child slave, uh, a, a soldier. So they, they, they take you through this whole process. They literally, he kills people. He learns how to use a gun. He does drugs. He's, he, 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 they literally rewire these kids' brains. Like you, you can actually, this, this stuff actually happens. You can go online and you can, you can study it. And so in the movie, they rewire this, this young man. He holds out hope that his father will come save him. And eventually he gives up hope. His father doesn't come. He becomes hardened to, 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 to everything that's going on. And he fully engages in the life of a child soldier. And one day Solomon finds him. It's this beautiful moment. Solomon finds his son, and they have this, this really tense moment. I don't want to have the whole time to explain it to you. In case you've never seen it, you can watch it. But basically, in the movie, Solomon and Key are standing face to face, and he takes his gun, and he points it right at, uh, Dia points it right at his father's head, as if he's going to kill him. I don't know if you ever watched a movie where you're like, oh, dang. Like, you, you feel it. And Solomon gets even more resolute in this moment. And here's what he says to him. He says, what are you doing? Look at me. Interesting. Make eye contact with me, Dia. Dia begins to have tears coming down his face. He's forgot who he was. He forgot where he grew up. Finally, Solomon looks in Dia's thing and he says this. He says, Dia, you are Dia Vandy of the proud Mendy tribe. You're a good boy who loves soccer and school. You can see Dia beginning to break, and this is the part that gets me every time. He says, Dia, I know they made you do bad things. You're not a bad boy. Oh, man, it, makes, it, gets, me every, it gets, gets me right now, right? He says, I'm your father who loves you, and you will come home with me. You will be my son again. In this moment, his gun just falls, and they just fall into each other's arms, and they cry. You're crying. They're crying. Leah's asking if I'm crying. It's allergies, right? just a beautiful reminder of the grace of God you're not who they say you are you're my son and you're coming home with, with, with me let me just give you one more thought that's that's super powerful about this story with Peter number three is this is you got to embrace you can't change your past this is one of those things right like in church you come you have a past you got to embrace you can't change your past but Jesus can and will change your future it's one of those foundational truths about church. We hide it. We cover it up. That's why I love to hear about it. I love being at Welcome to Church. This last week we had Welcome to Church and listening to people's stories. Some of them I've heard before and some of them I've never heard. 
And every time I hear their story, uh, I go back to the truth that, that God can change people's lives. That you can't change your, who you, what you've done. You can't, that's guilt. Guilt says you've done it and gives you no way out. That's guilt. Constantly reminds you of what, what you're doing. Condemnation. Tells you there's something wrong with you. But Jesus, he'll say, listen, you can't change your past, but if you let me, I can and I will change your future. Here's two things you got to embrace. Here we go. Ready? Number one, no matter how hard you try, no matter what you do, you cannot change your past. No matter how hard you try, I don't know how you get past that, right? So, <laughs> how hard you try, you cannot change your past. You just can't. You got to embrace it. You got to embrace it. I can't, I can't, right? But, but here's another thing. You got to start embracing the fact that it happened. Here's the thing, though. You don't need to hold it, though. It happened. This is why I always, it happened. You don't need to hold it. In other words, it, covered sin is isolating. It's isolating. It pushes you away from God. Confess sin is freeing. Covered sin, isolating. Confess sin. One of the stars of the church is grace, and how you attain grace is confession. I need you, God. I need you to help me. And so I started thinking about this, this with, with Peter. And uh, the most beautiful part of the story of, of Peter and Jesus happens next. Happens next. So Judas has killed himself. Um, the disciples, they've ran. Now Jesus has come back. And uh, they hear he's, he's back. They hear his grave's empty. They run to it. Could you imagine if you're Peter and you hear he's alive? What are you thinking? Oh, snap. I denied him three times. He goes back to his house or in hiding. Jesus comes and sees him. I'm sure it's awkward. I don't know what that first interaction was. But at some point, we know that Peter goes back to being a fisherman. Here's what's interesting. The only two times that we hear about Peter fishing in the scripture, first time is when he meets Jesus. Jesus finds him. He's fishing. He's not good at it. Jesus says, throw your, your net on the other side. He catches so many fish. The Bible says the boat is sinking. Then he tells Peter, let's go. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And they leave. And uh, the next time we see him fishing like this, he's left Jesus. He's denied him. He's gone back to his old way of life. And he, he's fishing. And he's not, doing it, he's not doing it good again, right? Like he's not catching anything. And so uh, Jesus shows up. And here's what's interesting about the story that I've, I've never correlated before. So Jesus said, hey, uh, before the rooster crows, right? I'm not going to do the rooster crow for you again. Before the rooster crows... You're going to deny me three times. In other words, before the morning breaks, right? Before the morning breaks, in this night, you're going to deny me three times. So here, here's what would happen. You ever, you ever done something, and um, after you've done it, you have a constant reminder of you doing it in your life? It's the failure, like, and it just, you just hate it. It reminds you. So what if for the next few days, that every time the rooster crowed, what if it was reminding Peter of his greatest failure? Every time he heard it, right, cock-a-doodle-doo, it was, oh, I can't believe I did that to Jesus. Saturday, I can't believe I did that to Jesus. Sunday, rooster crows, I can't believe I did that to Jesus. Every day he heard it, I can't believe me, Peter, let Jesus down like that. So the Bible says in the book of John uh, that Peter shows up to the beach where they're fishing. You know what time he comes at? Early in the morning. He calls Peter. Peter, come in, me. Peter sees him, jumps out the boat, swims to him. 
Now, I'm not sure what's going on in his mind. Here's what I actually think is happening, if I'm honest. John lets us know that they raced to the tomb, and John beat Peter to the tomb to see that Jesus was resurrected. And so now I think Peter is saying, you're not going to beat me again. I'm not waiting for this boat to get in and run on the beach. I'm going to jump out of this water, and I'm going to swim to Jesus. And Peter, you're going to have to document that I beat you back to Jesus. That's what I think was going on, but that's just me because I'm a guy, right? And so, so he gets out of the boat. He gets soaking wet to Jesus. He sits around a fire with Jesus. Jesus has a meal with him, breakfast, looking in his eyes. Three times he asks him in, in the morning, do you love me? Three times Peter says yes. Third time, do you love me? Yes. What if on the third time the day, the day broke and the rooster from the local farm said, cock a doodle doo And the, the symbol of his greatest failure in his life became the symbol of Jesus' greatest grace. What if in that moment he just broke? He really, really saw Jesus for the very first time. Too, too many people, because we don't try to understand the grace of God, we never see Jesus that way. We see Jesus through religion. We see Jesus through our actions. We see, see Jesus through our own obedience. We see Jesus through our own accomplishments. We see Jesus through our own works. But that day Jesus showed Peter a different side of him. He showed him the side that never gives up. He showed him the side that nothing's too big for his forgiveness. He showed him the side of, of himself that changed Peter's life forever. And he truly did go on to use Peter to build the church. And the gates of hell that tried to close on Peter's life did not stand. What's guilt? Guilt's not from God. Guilt's in prison in your life. There's grace here. There's grace here. Yeah, you did it. But let's talk about what Jesus did. Let's talk about what he accomplished. That's why the book uh, in the Bible it says to fix your eyes on Jesus. Put your eyes back to the cross. See his grace. See his hands outstretched to you. See how much he loves you. And then you realize there's nothing in my life that can keep me from that. Would you stand to your feet? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Would you just pray this with me all over this house? Holy Spirit, would you just fill this room? Just say that right now. Would you fill this room? Jesus, you said, come to me if we're weary and heavy laden and you'll give us rest for your Yoke is easy and your burden is light. Here's what I know all over this place. There's many people burdened by their past. They're weighed down by their guilt. They're haunted by shame, which is the voice of Satan, our enemy. The Bible says he sneaks around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour. He's a coward. He doesn't come in our life with truth because he knows truth will set us free. He fills us with lies because he knows oftentimes we'll allow lies to become truth and they affect us as if they're true. So spirit of living God, would you create an atmosphere where we can clearly see you. God, would you bring freedom in this place right now? 
as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, just all over this house. Maybe you don't know Jesus. And uh, I talked about having eyes today, making eye contact with Jesus. The Bible says that he can give us eyes to see. That Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers. That happens in church. That you come here week after week after week and it doesn't make sense. And you walk out and you don't know why nothing's happening. But then in the instant, it's like the Spirit of God has opened up your eyes. And you can see clearly. This message was for you. You struggle with guilt. You struggle with shame. You listen to condemnation. You just work harder. You have all the cliches on your phone. I just got to grind it out, man. I just got to go. I got to get better. I got to learn from my failure. Here's what I know. Sometimes God gets you to the point where you are absolutely broken. And you're tired and you're weary. And he opens up your eyes. And you see for the first time. I can't do this on my own. I can't change. I can't be the person I'm supposed to be. I can't have the marriage that God wants me to have. I can't accomplish what I'm supposed to accomplish on my own. Here's the promise of Scripture. When you get to that point, it's a great blessing. Because when you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, He will lift you up. That's where all relationships with Jesus start. Humility. I can't do it on my own. I don't want to carry the weight of my guilt and my shame anymore. The Bible says if you would just call the name of Jesus, the one who died for you and rose for you, who defeated death, sin, and hell, if you would just call on him, that he'll answer. Some of you can feel that right now. He literally is knocking at the door of your heart. You see it. Your, your ears are open. You hear it. You feel it. And today you're ready to say yes. I got to tell you, it's the greatest honor of my life to share this message with people. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes life is overwhelming. Sometimes it leaves you with more questions than you have answers. Sometimes you preach from a spot where you're empty. But man, it's such an honor to know that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is here, speaking through, reaching to you knocking at the door of your heart. The Bible says confess and believe. So here's what I want to do all over this house. You don't know Christ, but you need to. You need to fix your eyes on Jesus. You're doing it on your own, and you don't want to do it like that anymore. You need to fix your eyes on Jesus. You're going to confess and believe. You're going to leave this place a brand new person. I want to pray with you as we close. I want you to do something for me if I'm speaking to you right now all over our houses. If you're in Montgomeryville, if you're here, I don't know Jesus Christ, but I need to. I need to right now. I need him to heal me, forgive me, and set me free. All over our houses, if that's you, the Spirit of God is tugging at your heart. Today's your day. Today's your day. Would you just begin to shoot your hand straight in the air? Say, hey, that's my day. This is my day. I need Jesus Christ to be my Lord and my Savior. I see hands over here. I see a hand right here. Hand up there in the balcony. A couple hands right here.
maybe all over this house, you would just pray with me and repeat after me and say, Jesus Christ, today I give up control of my life. From this day forward, I'm going to follow you. Jesus, today I'm all yours. I love you. Thank you for your forgiveness, your grace, your mercy, and your hope. Jesus, today I'm free. In your name we pray. Before we close, all over this house, I just want to pray one more time. All, all over this house. There's people all over this house right now. Release from guilt. There's some people in this house, the, the step to being released from guilt is not only walking away from their past, but there's some people right now living in what I would call uh, imprisoned sin right now. We're in prison because we've kept something secret for a long time. And what we conceal, God can't heal. And so, Lord, what we're going to pray right now is a, is a Holy Spirit courage in some people's lives that you would give them the opportunity, the, the courage, uh, and the words to, to speak to the people they need to speak to, to, to move forward, to be let go of the areas of their past, Lord, that we're going to confess our sins to you and we're going to confess our sins to each other. That's where real uh, healing comes from. But I thank you in advance for what you're going to do. That there's been so many people in this place that have been afraid to death to, to confess, Lord. But, Lord, right now, Lord, they understand. That's when living really begins, when we walk in freedom, when we walk in truth, and we walk in the light. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for your word. Thank you for all that you've done here today in our church. Lord, be with us this week as we leave this place. Help us to represent you in everything we think, say, and do. In Jesus' name, we pray all of this at all of our campuses. Would you shout amen with me? And would you clap together? Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.